This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Roughnecks knock off the Bandits in a dramatic game two that went down to the wire. Reese Dutch scored the OT winner. We'll talk to the Victoria native about the biggest goal of his career. We'll put a bow on the 2018-2019 season, chat with Smoke and Pat, and much more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, the Lacrosse Flash, and NLL Radio. My name's Teddy Jenner. Welcome back to the show. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the final game, the entire season, and what you thought of game two. I... I'm still buzzing from last Saturday night. I'm sure many Calgary Roughnecks fans and players are still buzzing. And unfortunately for Buffalo Bandit players and their fans, it was an ending that they weren't hoping to see. One goal shy of forcing a deciding game three. They had their chances. They had their moments. They had the lead. Unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be. And I have to say that that was probably one of the most exciting games I've ever called, witnessed, seen in person, and or watched. If you were not entertained by what you saw Saturday night, you really should get your pulse checked. You might want to go chat with your doctor because that was as good as it gets. Obviously, Bandits fans and parts of myself would have loved to have seen a Game 3. Selfishly, I enjoyed calling a deciding game. But I would not have hated the fact if these two teams had to go right down to the final whistle and play that third and deciding game of the finals. But Saturday night inside the Scotiabank Saddle Dome was... A loud, raucous environment. Even before the game started, it was jumping. Throughout the whole game, it was loud and jumping. Brad and I in the broadcast booth could hardly hear each other when we were talking. Even off air when we were just trying to talk to each other during commercial breaks. The place was so loud, reverberating all the way to the top of the building. It was just an incredible night. And in the grand spectrum of the game, I thought it was one of the best games of the year all around. From goaltending, power plays, transition, I thought both coaches were incredible. I actually thought the refs did a really good job letting the players play. Sure, there were some calls that could have gone either way or some calls that shouldn't have gone either way. But in the grand scheme of things in that contest, I thought everybody laid it all out on the line and put on display what the National Lacrosse League is all about. Fast pace, intense, high scoring, drama filled. You couldn't have asked for a better game. You probably couldn't have asked for a more poetic finish 
with Reese Dutch scoring that final goal, a buck 12 into overtime. The year that he had as a player, the year that he has had personally off the floor with everything that happened involving the Vancouver Warriors, uh, them leaving him exposed to free agency, Calgary literally picking him up almost instantly. And from the moment he put on the red and white of the Roughnecks, he was on a mission to prove that he still had what it took to compete in this league and to be a high-level superstar. And he showed it every game, every practice, and every chance he had. And he did not let the moment surpass him with that shot that beat Matt Vince to give the Roughnecks their third championship in franchise history. It was an incredible, incredible moment. If you haven't gone back and watched the highlights, they're out there on BR Live. You can also watch Chase for the Championship Part 2, which is an incredible documentary series. Just a two-parter so far. They're hoping, again, everybody kind of was hoping for a Game 3 so they could do a third part to the series. But uh, Chase for the Championship is out there, Part 2, and it is... Phenomenal. Probably some of the best produced stuff the National Lacrosse League has put out all year. And it goes behind the scenes. It shows fan reactions, player reactions, inside the locker room. Uh, just incredible stuff from the National Lacrosse League. Uh, if you want to go back and relive game two, uh, that video is out there as well. But let's kind of go back to that game and just kind of break it down into some parts because there were some key moments in that game that really, I don't want to say turn the tie, but really helped momentum for teams, for both teams as that game went on. First off, 9 for 10 combined on the power play these two teams went. Now, I've seen some fans upset with the officials. Again, I thought, that Ian Garrison and his crew did a wonderful job. Again, you can't see everything. Even in a three-official system, you're going to miss some calls. And even if they do get the calls right, half the people are going to agree. Half the people aren't agree. That's just the way it works. I thought the one play, I can't remember who took the penalty or who was hit, but a Buffalo player hit a Calgary player in front of the bench I thought that could have been a real turning point in the game uh, the bandits player was only given a two-minute minor um, in some instances depending on the hit that could have been a game misconduct for contact uh, within the change areas but I really thought that the officials let the players play I know that instance I was talking about a couple fans that I was talking to post game didn't even think it was worth the minor um, again, and that, that all comes from perspective. I thought the Tyler Burton goal at the moment was a huge goal for the Calgary Roughnecks. Um, that was in the midst of their five-goal run in that second quarter. Burton winning it off the draw, taking it himself, and beating Matt Vince. And the story of Tyler Burton is another really cool one, kind of like Reese Dutch. Uh, he was a member of Rochester's championship runs back uh, in the mid-2000s, early on. And then he gets picked up by Vancouver. 
Uh, and then Vancouver essentially kind of releases him for nothing. Calgary picks him up, and he's really found himself new life with the Roughnecks. His face-off game has gone to another level. Uh, more importantly, he's taken care of his body, his mind. He's gotten himself clean. Not that he was quote-unquote dirty, but uh, he's stopped drinking. He's taken care of himself. He's in the best shape of his life. Uh, and he scored three goals in the last Roughnecks three games. And just goes to show how he is a leader with that group. And his veteran leadership was huge in that playoff stretch for the Calgary Roughnecks. Again, he scored three goals in their final three games. And all three goals at the moment and at that time were really big goals for the Calgary Roughnecks. I thought the insertion of Chris Cloutier was going to have more effect for the Buffalo Bandits, I thought he was going to bring more to the Bandits' offense. And he did at times. Uh, he did score uh, that goal early on in the second, or about halfway through the second, or let's try that again, halfway through the first quarter. Uh, he tied the game back up at two after Riley Lowen had given Calgary the lead. And Kluch ended up finishing the game with a goal and three assists. I thought he played a fairly decent game. Um, they put him in instead of Thomas Hogarth, uh, who had played game two. And there were some people who were questioning that move. I didn't hate it. I thought it gave them an, gave them an extra look. I thought it putting another left-hander out there could help create space for guys like Durston and Byrne and Small, but also allow Evans and Dane Smith some more floor time and more space with the opportunity to try to create some more offense for themselves. Throwing Chase Fraser in there as well, who I thought had a phenomenal game. Uh, Jordan Durson had a great coming out party in game two. His first three goals of the entire playoffs came in that final game. I thought it was the best game I had seen him play all year. Uh, he was phenomenal. He, he was that dirty Durson that we saw in Vancouver a couple years ago that Bandits fans had known to grow and love over the past couple of years in Banditland. He was phenomenal. I thought he was maybe their best lefty all game. Corey Small obviously had a huge game, but I thought Jordan Durston did what Jordan Durston does so well, and that's play gritty, dirty lacrosse, score big goals, get loose balls when you need to. And I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, he had some glorious opportunities in that game. Capitalized on a bunch of them. That toe drag that he had was just filthy. Just straight filth from Jordan Durston. Obviously the play of Corey Small was huge. Sean Evans was his normal dangerous self. But again... You look at the role players for this Buffalo Bandit squad, and they were the guys that sort of stepped up, Durson and Fraser especially. I know they would have loved to get a little more from Josh Byrne in these playoffs, and I think they would have loved to get more goals from Dane Smith, but maybe Dane was hurting a bit. There are some reports that he got hurt early on in that contest in Game 2 and wasn't quite the same, but he still finished with 7 points, a goal and 6 assists. Sure, Late in that game, they would have loved if he could have buried one or two. But he was dishing the ball every time he got slid on. And that's what you want from your star players. Don't be selfish. Don't try to force things. Keep it simple. And when that slide came, 
in overtime and he dished it off to Corey Small. That was the perfect pass. Christian Del Bianco just came up with a remarkable save and then somehow Zach Courier comes flying out of nowhere to slide between the pipes to keep the rebound shot out of the net, which set up the dramatics for Reese Dutch. But if you're a Buffalo Bandits fan, I think you got to be really happy with your club's performance in Game 2. I thought they played a lights-out lacrosse game. They battled all game long. They never hung their heads. They never let the atmosphere and the environment get the best of them. They laid it all out on the line and did everything they could to force a Game 3. Unfortunately, they just came up a goal short. On the Calgary side of the ball, you, you got to start with Christian Del Bianco and how amazing that he played. Uh, sure, some will say he didn't have his best game, but when they needed him, he was there. He makes 13 saves in the fourth quarter as Buffalo was making that charge to tie things up. Obviously, the extra goal by Corey Small, or the tying goal by Corey Small with the extra attacker was a tough one. Uh, came off a bit of a broken play. Smallsy had slid down the backside. Funny enough, the small tying goal and the Dutch winning goal are fairly similar in the fact that they kind of came off extra swings, off broken plays, and the defense didn't stretch out. And that's where these two offenses all year were so good. And that was off the first set, if it doesn't work, being able to stay composed, keep possession, work for that next look. And bury the opportunity when they happen. And that's what Smallsy did uh, with 28 seconds left to tie things up in dramatic fashion. And that's exactly what Reese Dutch did a buck 12 into the extra frame. His goal came off a broken play. They got the reset after Dixon hit the pipe. Dutchie took the pass from Lowen. And again, Reese was wide open. The defense didn't step up. And Reese Dutch took all the time and room that he could to score that goal. So Delbs was great. Obviously, the pass to Dane, Do Dane Doby was just a picture-perfect pass. And I believe it was Tyson Bell who did an incredible job of getting off the floor to spring Doby out the front door. And then Delbs drops it in a bucket. And in typical Doby fashion, one hand on the stick drives underneath the defender who's backtracking, goes airborne, and somehow puts it back short side past Matt Vince, keeping his feet airborne just enough. Like that had to have been mere millimeters that that ball goes in before Doby's toe taps the crease. And when that goal went in and the officials' arms went up and then they reviewed it and they called it a good goal, I'm not sure I had at that moment seen a louder arena or heard a louder arena. And then at the same time, I don't think I've seen an arena go as quick as they did once Corey Small scored that tire. It was just a phenomenal fourth quarter. Uh, I thought Jesse King was great. The fact that Jesse King is 7-0 in a Roughnecks uniform is hilarious. The guy comes into this organization on a trade in the offseason. 
has such high hopes at the start of the year to get a fresh start with a new team closer to home, and he gets hurt in an exhibition game and doesn't play until the final, uh, what, four games of the regular season? Three games of the regular season? And the team doesn't lose with him in the lineup. They win their final three playoff or regular season. They win all four in the playoffs. King was a big factor for them. Balancing out that offense and giving them another big body weapon. I talked with Tyson Geik on the flash this week and we talked about what the difference was for this Calgary team as the year went on. And obviously the big factor for them was they got healthy and they got their bodies back. At the start of the year, when they hadn't even signed Dutch, they were missing Dixon in his contract dispute, West Berg in a contract dispute, King was injured, and they had found out that Tyler Pace would only be available for half the season. So in essence, they had to go out and get Reese Dutch. They needed a veteran body. And so when you get touch, you bring in a weapon. You get pace for half the games. You eventually get Curtis Dixon back a month into the season. But you never see Wes Burke. Then that group starts to get cohesive, start to work together, start to get some chemistry. And then in the last month of the season, you get Jesse King back. And they just found another gear and they were 500 most of the year they were up they were down they were inconsistent they had guys in another lineup they couldn't find the right group to go ahead but again they were just trying to figure out who was going to fit where biding their time till everybody was back in the lineup and once they were all back they were full steam ahead. They found an extra gear. And as well as the Bandits played during the regular season, there was nobody playing better lacrosse than the Calgary Roughnecks once the postseason started. And they continued that trend all the way through Game 2. And they continued that trend right until that final goal by Reese Dutch. Not to take anything away from Buffalo or Colorado or San Diego New England, Toronto, Georgia, the Calgary Roughnecks were the best team in the postseason, hands down. And that is why they are where they are, and that is why they are three-time NLL champions. The overtime winner from Reese Dutch was a goal that so many will remember. Reese, obviously, for being the man that fired the goal that gave the Roughnecks the title. I'll never forget it. Because it was one of the most phenomenal finishes I've ever seen. And the fact that I got to be a part of it makes it that much more special. Roughneck fans will never forget it. The staff, family and friends, the lacrosse fans will never forget that goal. And Reese Dutch will probably remember it forever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm not sure... He really realized the magnitude of that goal in the moment. What it meant. And what it meant to him with everything that went on. But you know that in that moment. The mighty Dutch would rise to the occasion. 
and make that play. I was able to catch up with the overtime hero on Wednesday. He was doing a little work slash daddy daycare. And the first question I asked him was, had he ever been a part of anything so incredible? The tension in the building was palpable, right? I mean, Smallsy's doing what Smallsy does, scoring a big goal to send it into overtime. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to put it all into words. It was just an amazing experience, obviously, coming out on top of it. And, uh, I mean, it was just uh, a lot high intensity, let's say that, a whirlwind. Absolutely. Is it still all kind of a blur? Yeah, a little bit. I, it's it's tough. It like comes in waves. <laughs> you like kind of remember one thing or part of the game that sticks out, and or you know you go on social media and you see somebody else post some highlights of the goal, whatever. But um, yeah, that comes in waves. You've scored a few big goals in your life. That right up there with the most important, special, incredible, memorable goal you've ever scored. Yeah, I mean, I I said in a different interview yesterday. I mean, I don't know. Like can I don't think you can score a bigger goal really like no. the, the game winner in the championship game. There's really like not an opportunity to score a goal bigger than that. So it's kind of a, you know I'm feel pretty pretty lucky to even have had that opportunity and then to score it's going to be something I'll never forget. Do you, do you remember the plays? Is it is it there? Do you remember getting the pass? Do you remember sliding down the side? Was that a step play or did, is, it was often a bit of broken play, wasn't it, off the reset? Yeah, the the play was more just sort of a motion offense, put the ball in Dixon's stick. Cause why wouldn't you have the best goal scorer on the planet on your team? Um, and then he hit the corner bar and just kind of, you know, rebound, kind of bounced right to Kinger, so we were lucky to get that. Um, but the whole play had kind of shifted everybody low. Um, and then, you know, Dixon kind of sealed the pile. And I just, it was kind of a weird, like, I just, it was almost like I got really excited. I'm like, holy smokes, I'm going to be open here. Like, start shaking, <laughs> start shaking my stick at Riley Lowe. And then he just, you know, his eyes went big because he could see how big my eyes were. And I was kind of wind up when I caught it. I felt like. Were your eyes closed? Do you remember watching? No, I actually, I, I remember, I remember watching the ball go in. Didn't touch the goal, didn't touch the post, just hit the mesh. Um, it was a Oh, man. <laughs> it's the rush. You can't bother yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it, the game was back and forth. Like, there was never really a moment where even broadcasting, I could look at Brad and say, you know, this game's over. There was never that moment um, where it felt like it was out of reach. It just goes to show how closely matched these two teams were. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, nine, when we were up 9-6, it's just – you never want to say you're feeling comfortable, but even, you know, playing against Buffalo, you're especially not comfortable because that team mm-hmm. is so full of talent. Um, you know, had we maybe gotten a couple more at 9-6, it might have been a little bit of a different story, but, I mean, that's just, you know, that's the resilience that they showed too, right, coming back and tying it up, and then it was just back and forth for the rest of the game. You may not have even have gotten that shot if Zach Courier hadn't jumped between the pipes in overtime I've, to stop that late. Right? Like people, I know the goal was awesome. Like, people kind of – don't talk enough about that. I mean, yeah. that career, I, man, what a player, all around player. If I was starting a team, he'd be the first guy I'd pick every time. Wow. That's, that's high praise. He's, a, he's amazing. He does it all. He does. Uh, what was it like in that locker room? Cause I know I say after the game, but when you guys were able to close the door um, and have just the team in that room, it had to have been a pretty special moment. You guys really rallied around the 25 strong mentality. How cool was it to be in that room afterwards? It was awesome. I mean, you just Kinger and I sat together for quite a while and just chatted, and, and you know, I got my my feet in ice buckets because <laughs> there's still the there's still the maintenance factor, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And, but yeah, I mean, and coach was sitting there too. And he just said, man, I don't know why anybody would leave this room right now. Like you just soak it up. Like, well, yeah. this group may never be in this, in a locker room together again, just because of the way the league works. And that's, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's pretty special. It's like everybody says it and it's all in the interview. We're going to walk together for that group. So it was mm-hmm. cool just to sit there and sort of take it in with them. You got, you would have to say this year is pretty special for you knowing everything that happened during the off season and not knowing if anybody was going to pick you up, you know, after the game, you, you said that you were surprised when Kurt Miloski called you. Uh, how happy are you that he did call you? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I owe him one for forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's a kind of a crazy day. I mean, you know, go from lots, maybe like my professional lacrosse career just end to, Hey, this is awesome. I got a fresh start um, with a team that's an automatic contender. So it's very, uh, I, I mean, it was just, I'm great. I'm great for to the Calgary Roughnecks and Eric Miloski for making that phone call. How special was it to win it with guys like Jesse King and Burton and Giggy, guys that you play with in the summer and you get to spend the next three months rubbing shoulders with just talking about that night? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's awesome, man. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, good old Victoria boys. Um, you know, I know that I know Greg and Burton are kind of transplants, but, um, but yeah, I played across with those guys all year round, and now it's something that we, like you said, I'll be able to share that forever and chat about it. I'm going to see them tomorrow night at practice. <laughs> um, this Calgary Roughnecks squad, you know, you hovered around 500 most of the year. You were up and down. You were missing Curtis Dixon for the first month and a bit. You didn't have Westberg at all. Kinger came in the last, you know, couple or last few weeks. Pace was only playing half the game. What allowed this team to hit their stride at the right moment in the last month and a half of the regular season and playoffs? Because you guys really became unbeatable down the stretch. I, you know, I mean, there's an obvious thing that was there. Like Jesse King coming back was clearly a huge, huge boost for our offense. Um, just the versatility, size. You know, ability to score that he brings to any offense would automatically make you better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just I it was just kind of sort of had a couple chats uh, and, it, and it almost like some switched in our minds. Just you know, we're a blue collar team. We're here to work hard for each other. Make sure we're sacrificing everything we can and kind of everything cliche we did. You know, and then we all stuck to it. We all pulled on everyone pulled on the same rope and it just kind of clicked together. And then I mean, Christian Del Bianco playing probably the frost. You know, I mean, you know, it's tough to say for him, but. He's an amazing goaltender, but <laughs> and he's only twenty-one. <laughs> he's like twenty-one years old, right? The kid, but he played his best across when we needed him to, right down yeah, the stretch. Yeah. That's, you know, championship teams have championship goalies. Um, was that ball from Delbs to Doby going in slow motion past the bench when you were watching it in the air? <laughs> I I got I felt like a giddy child. I could see you could see it as soon as he picked it up. He knew where he was going with it, and then you yeah. know I can't remember who was sprinting to the bench, but just such a heads-up play. Um, and then, I mean, couldn't have, you could have dropped it into an ice cream bucket from the crease. It was such a perfect yeah. pass. Doby has such a knack at scoring off the bench, doesn't he? Oh, man, yeah. I've been a, it's been bad dreams of mine forever, but now it's, <laughs> yeah. now it's, the yeah, now it's a good dream, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I noticed uh, in much of the celebration sort of after the initial hype, you're holding on to your lacrosse stick still. Was that because you didn't want somebody to steal it or because I, it was no, just that kind of special? I, I don't really know. I don't really, like, I wasn't, I, we're in the offensive end. I didn't want to throw it down on, on their side. So I, yeah, I, but I just kind of, yeah, I don't know. Throwing my stick is just never not something that would be part of my, I wouldn't think to do it in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wouldn't just throw my stick. I have my stick. <laughs> Keep it near you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would, 
maybe I'm wrong to say this, but with as injuries piled up, your, your career is kind of slowly on the backside of things. Does this goal and this championship um, fire you up and stoke the fire to keep playing a little longer? For sure, man. I mean, it was just getting to be so frustrating not knowing how to get myself better. And then, you know, while with being injured for so long, it kind of gets your conditioning not to where it needs to be. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I'm a guy that's been relied on athleticism a lot. You know, that's been a heavy part of the success of my career. So when that was starting to be taken away from me, it was starting to be a little bit uh, depressing on me mentally, for sure. So, I mean, it's just been rejuvenating with the new team. It's also been, you know, re- like, yeah, like you said, re- re- well, motivating there's the word <laughs> uh, it's been motivating just to be able to do things and, and to be training and to get my body back in shape and it's just been uh yeah i mean obviously success in anything will breed motivation too is this championship equally as special less special more special than 2010 with the self um it's tough to say i mean i've always said that that was one of the best if not one of the best nights of my life winning that championship mm-hmm. when we were down before in the fourth quarter come back and win it um, but I mean, this moment, I, it's tough to be when scoring the game winning goal. So I, I, I guess in the moment, it would be tough to be the rough next championship. Plus just how, how this, how the year went, like you said, the, all the adversity both personally and with the team. So, um, I don't want to take anything away from the 2010 championship, but I mean, just in the moment, I'd have to say that this one was pretty, it was probably the most exciting moment of my life. And you got to have Jenna in the crowd with you. That had to have been a, a real special moment to have. Yeah. That. Yeah. It was it was so cool winning it in Calgary, right? Because a lot of guys were able to have their family there, so it was um, it was really cool to see. Yeah, obviously Genevieve there, but then everybody, you know, people had their parents there, people had their wives, their girlfriends. So it was really like a, it was a family event. Was Finn watching back home? Oh yeah, I got some good pictures. He's right face to the screen, pretty much. You awesome. see his little head in front of the TV. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, <laughs> part of me is a little bit guilty that he wasn't there, to be honest. But it was you know what after the game what what you wouldn't be interested in, in hanging out at the arena for another two and a half hours while we all celebrate it. So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> bittersweet, Cal- but he'll, uh, I, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, did, did the town of Calgary survive you guys last, that night? <laughs> I don't know. We certainly left our mark. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know you're, you're uh, busy uh, work and you're playing, playing daddy daycare, but um, the quick turnaround right from NLL to summer season, uh, is something that we all kind of dread, but we all look forward to. How excited are you to get back with the Shamrocks and make a run in a Man Cup now? I am excited, you know. I like it. I mean, it's like I said, it's not. I'm not as frustrated with my injury anymore. It's more. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm going to be able to go out there and, and make an impact on the floor and not have to worry about is my foot going to be okay today or not, right? So it's going to be. I, I'm excited to get out there and be in playing for the Shamrocks in a healthy capacity. Plus, we've got a great squad put together. Um, and we're going to be able to make a run at it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely pumped. Will you ever forget Saturday night? <laughs> I, how can you? I don't think – I don't want to. <laughs> I don't think I will. No, I've already probably watched clips of that game 150 times, so it's ingrained in there pretty good. Sachi, congratulations, my man. I couldn't be happier for you. I'm glad that uh, it was you that got that and was able to bid it. Uh, as Brad said, a good Victoria boy, and uh, thanks for giving us some time, Max. Congratulations. Thanks a lot, Teddy. There he is, Reese Dutch, Calgary Roughneck hero. And that'll go down as one of the biggest goals in NLL history. Um, I think it's, what, the second time in a few years uh, the NLL Finals has been won in overtime. 
Of course, Miles Thompson a couple years ago scored the winner in Saskatchewan to give Georgia the championship over the rush. We can go back and think of the Toronto-Rochester game where Caleb Toss scores the miraculous goal right at the buzzer, beating Pat O'Toole over the far left shoulder to give the Rock their championship win. There have been some phenomenal goals in NLL history, and obviously that Dutch goal ranks right up there with one of the biggest in league history. Before we move on to Smoke and Pat, I just want to give a big shout out to Joel Feld, Mike Pettit, uh, the entire National Lacrosse League crew and staff um, who allowed me to bring my niece Mackenzie to the finals game in Calgary. She's going to go to Denver University next year, play on the women's lacrosse team. Uh, but she's also going to be a journalism major, a psych minor. She's way smarter than me. Uh, I never even could try and do two things at once. Um, but Mackenzie wanted to do a bit of a day shadow. Uh, she asked me if she could tag along. And so uh, I asked the National Lacrosse League and Joel Feld. And we made it work so she could come to the game. And she had one of the most memorable experiences she's ever had in her life. Um, it was extra special for me because I got to bring her along and show her some behind-the-scenes things. Um, and I couldn't have been more proud of her, but I couldn't have been more happy that she got to see uh, behind the scenes the work that Brad and I were doing, the work that Carla was doing in, in the production booth, um, the work of Devin Caney, Ashley Dawkin, and Kayla Spies, uh, three incredible role models for young women who want to be involved uh, in sports. It was just... Uh, an incredible night, uh, one she'll never forget, uh, and one that really emphasized the fact that she was making the right decision going down this business path that she wants and this career path that she wants. So um, an incredible night. Thanks to Joel Feld and everybody that made it possible that helped get her there. Um, and thanks to the Roughnecks players and staff, the Bandits players and staff, their PR people who just let her be around, uh, let her ask questions, let her talk to players and coaches and um, it was just a, a night that um, was just great for both of us. So thanks to, to everybody involved. Thanks to the players. Yeah, just just a great night. I'm, I'm, she's still buzzing about it, uh, and I am just really happy that we got to experience that game together as, as Funkel and Nice, uh, and one that I'll forever be thankful for. So thanks to the National Cross League for just letting us have a little fun weekend uh, together and she could see what it was all about Um it was just a great experience, a great, great experience. And it helped. It really helped that it was a fantastic game. There was moments where um, Brad and I were calling the games and we were awestruck at what was going on. I would look over at McKenzie and she was just mouth wide open, aghast at what was going on. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe uh, just the skill of everything. She couldn't believe uh, how loud the arena was. Uh, it was just uh, an incredible night all around. I think anybody that was at that game probably has the same feelings, uh, that it was just a phenomenal night had by all. Uh, again, Bandits fans, I feel your pain. Uh, it sucks losing. Uh, it's never easy watching your team lose the final game on the road. You would have loved to have had them there at home. But it's just the way sports go sometimes. Before we move on to Patchy, for those Bandit fans that, that are listening or did listen to the game, uh, I apologize if you felt that um, the game was called Biasedly. It was never my intention, never a thought process. 
It just so happens that when the home team scores, the building gets that much louder. So at times I had to be louder. Um, but every Bandit's goal, call for and against, I was with it full-heartedly. Um, we do what we can as broadcasters. We can't appease everybody. Uh, but there was no chance in the world that I was trying to be a homer in that call. If Buffalo had been up a ton, it would have been the same energy I brought with every goal than every goal that Calgary scored. Um, if it would have been Corey Small, it could have been Sean Evans, Dane Smith, whoever would have been scoring that overtime winner, I would have lost my voice just as badly as I did when Reese scored the winner. So um, there was no biased intent. I apologize if you feel that way. Uh, and one more time, I'll say sorry uh, if you felt that way because I know how much you really loved me saying sorry on the broadcast as well. We take a peek around the NLL. So many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke Game Pack. For the last time during the 2018-2019, it's a chat with Pat Gregoire, Smoke and Keith. How the hell are you? Doing great, man. Besides uh, the fact I'm just about to drive into some traffic right now. We've got a game at Ted Reeve Arena. The Beaches are hosting us for a game at their uh, at their old barn. So uh, it's going to be fun playing there with the IHEADS, but uh, it sucks because uh, inevitably I'm going to hit some city traffic coming up here. So, But you know, it also is sad, too, that the, the NLL season has come and, and gone. And uh, well, what a season it was. Uh, it really, really, especially considering – uh, we almost didn't have a, a season at some point, it seemed like. Uh, and thank God we did, because it was probably one of the more memorable ones that we've had in uh, the last few years. Funny enough, I'd completely forgotten about the possibility of not even having a season. It right. seems that long right. ago. I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, you had a chance to enjoy that game Saturday night as much as the rest of us. Uh, how was it from a viewer standpoint? Because I know at the top of the Saddle Dome, it was absolutely electric city hey that's exactly what it was you know you could feel the electricity um in the building uh first off uh, you guys did a tremendous job on the broadcast hats off to you guys uh you know it was a really really uh fantastic broadcast from a game standpoint if you're trying to grow the game if you're trying to really you know market the national lacrosse league and indoor lacrosse well that was the perfect game um, it had a little bit of everything, you know, Calgary jumps up, or sorry, Buffalo jumps up, Calgary then takes a lead, then Buffalo storms back, Calgary, you know, it's back and forth, uh, you got the overtime, you had some great goaltending, you had some transition, you had some high-powered offense, and you had an, had OT heroics, I mean, you, you really couldn't have ended, like I said, such a tremendous season uh, with a, a great way um, you know, to end the season, it, it really was, it really was a special year. And I think it was a, a special way. And it's sad that it only went two games, but mm -hmm. the two games were so good. I think lacrosse fans, I wouldn't say they were robbed of a third game, uh, but I won't lie. I, I mean, I'm not cheering for either team, but in the back of my mind, I kind of was rooting for Buffalo, not because I wanted to see them win, but because I wanted to see a third game. Yeah. 
I agree. I, as much as I enjoyed having the opportunity to call the final game of the year and, and the way that it ended, I would not have been disappointed if we would have seen a game three because these two teams were so evenly matched. Sure, Buffalo maybe didn't have their best game in game one. I think they brought out all the weapons in game two. Yeah. They did everything they could. Obviously, Dane Smith wasn't at his best during this playoff. Jordan Durston really only showed up until the third game. But if you scratch all that and you just look at the way these two teams played, I thought it was a heck of a series. It really could have gone either way. It, it really could have. And you, you mentioned it. Uh, Buffalo kind of didn't have their game that we you know, anticipated them having uh, in the first game of the playoffs. Uh, this is a team that is well coached a lot of good pros on their team that we thought were going to kind of come out ready and have one of their best performances. And it turned out to be, I don't want to say one of the worst performances, but it definitely wasn't the Buffalo Bandits offensive attack that we were used to seeing. And like you said, Dane Smith, obviously not up uh, to snuff with his health, considering, you know, it was one of the better seasons that he's had uh, in his great career. Uh, But you got, you got to give hats off to Calgary because I think, I mentioned it, you know, maybe a month or so ago. I said, this is the hottest team in the National Lacrosse League. And it didn't seem like it was uh, just a little heat streak. It it ended up being legit. And, boy, I I think if you look at it from that point on till the end, I I do think that's the best team did, in fact, win. Um, You look at the, the defense. Uh, they're big, they're fast. Uh, guys like Josh Courier and, and, and Tyson Bell, you know, came out with probably their best games in the most important games. They were both uh, beasts. Came up with some big plays down the stretch. Offensively, we know how good their offense is. Um, you know, Reese Dutch scoring that big goal. Dane Doby having another big game. Curtis Dixon, obviously, he's a big game performer. Riley Lowen, another guy that uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle because how good they were. You know, he puts up four points. Uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, people seem to forget of, like like mm-hmm. I said, because there's so many offensive weapons. Uh, but, I mean, I, he's a guy that can go off any night, and that's what makes that Roughnecks, you know, offense and their entire team so special and so fun to watch. And then, of course, my pick for the MVP, I'm not taking any way, anything away from Dan Dove. I'm sorry, I mean Dane Dovey. You're a jerk. You're a jerk. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Yeah. It's an, everyone makes mistakes. It's fine. Uh, but no, Christian Del Bianco, sure, he even said uh, it wasn't my best performance. Well, he was unbelievable in this entire series, in the entire playoffs. Uh, he, he, you talk to anyone on the team or you hear them talk after, everyone gave him praise. And the one thing they, they said about him is, yeah, sure, you know what, he's still a young goalie, uh, but this guy has just ice water in his veins, mm-hmm. nothing saves him, and you definitely saw that in that game. Uh, yeah, you know what, probably wasn't his best game, uh, but when he got scored on, he didn't let him, you know, it didn't get, didn't rattle him. He just picked up the ball, handed it to the ref, and went on to the next play, and when the team needed those big saves the most, he came up with them, and that's that clutch gene that he has, and, you know, look down the other end, and you look at Matt Vince. Uh, you gotta give, you gotta tip the cap to him as well, because definitely it's not his fault that his team lost. Uh, but you, you talk about how good Vince is, and how you could consider him as one of the greats, uh, in my opinion, the greatest box goalie to ever play the game. Well, Christian Del Bianco, I'm not saying 
he's well on his way, but I mean, if he continues at this rate, he definitely will be in the conversation once his career is done. God knows when that will be a long time. I presume. Yeah. I think he's got many, many years before he's going to be done in this game. Uh, you talked about uh, just how good Calgary was playing at the end of the year. They had won eight of nine down the stretch, including the playoffs. They were seven and zero with Jesse King in the lineup. Like this team was, they finally got healthy down the stretch. They finally found that chemistry that they'd kind of been missing throughout the year. They were bouncing pace in and out of the lineup. This is a team that that was just on all cylinders down the stretch. And as good as Buffalo was playing during the regular season, it only matters how good you're playing in the playoffs. And when it got to the yep. finals, Calgary was just a better team. But let's kind of go back into that game a little bit. And one of the biggest, I think, talking points for a lot of people – uh, were the penalties. I thought the referees actually did a really good job. Um, power plays were 9 for 10, the two teams yeah. combined. And when people are saying, oh, you know, the, the referees are inside, the game was even on special teams. I think special teams shorthanded-wise, the teams weren't as great. But, again, that just goes to show how good these offenses are. Yeah, a- exactly. And uh, I think what was it, Calgary? Calgary 5, five for 5? Five? Yeah, 5 for 5. 5 for 5. 4 for 5. Four for five. I mean, any time that – I mean, if you go four for five and, 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 you know, you say actually you're at the start of the game, you're, you're four for five on the power play tonight, you're going to finish that, but you're going to lose the power play battle, you'll scratch your head and say, how is that even possible? But you mentioned it. These offenses are so dynamic, and, and we talked about, obviously, all the weapons that they have, but this also goes to the coaching staff as well. Yeah. You give them another chance to – dissect that film from last week they're going to try to muster something up they're going to know um the tendencies of the pk and yes you're right the pk obviously was not on you know at a championship level for either side um but you give you know those guys chance after chance they're going to score and they you know in all um you know aspects of lacrosse especially the national lacrosse league and i guess you could even say in some other sports as well uh special teams uh, it's so so big in the postseason in championship games but uh with the refing i I had no i had no qualms with it and at the end of the game you couldn't really say the refs screwed one team or the other because both teams were so good on the power play anyway yeah yeah um i thought Effort-wise, Chase Fraser was one of the best bandits in the final series, as well as Sean Evans played, um, as well as Corey Small played. I thought just the workload that he had to deal with taking draws, running transition, playing out the front door, I thought Chase Fraser was fantastic. Yeah, I I agree. Actually, spoiler alert, uh, he's he's one of my honorable mentions for grinder of the week uh, for the NLL finals game too. So I I completely agree with those sentiments. He's a guy that I think, you know, you can put him at almost any spot on the floor and he's going to find a way to help your team be successful. He's a guy that kind of had to break into the league as a transition player. Then he gets his chance to to play offense and and you see the skill that he has um, scoring just beautiful highlight reel goals, you know, after one and after, but he also gets those dirty goals where he kind of gets his nose dirty, crashes the net, picks up a rebound and puts it home. Uh, and of course the face-offs as well too, but he's a guy that you can tell everyone loves him in that locker room. He's got a personality to him. He loves to score. Uh, he loves to pump up that crowd in Buffalo. And he also 
likes to taunt the crowds when he's on the road as well. He's a guy that, you know, in, in Buffalo, they're going to want to hold him on because he's a guy that you could market your team around. He's a hard-nosed guy. He's, you know, he's a gritty guy. The city of Buffalo is a gritty city. I think he's a perfect, perfect match for Bandit Land. On the other side of the ball, uh, we would be still if we didn't talk about Reese Dutch and not just <laughs> the overtime heroics, not just his yeah. play in those final two games for, for Calgary, but just the season that he had with the unknowing of if he was going to be picked up by a team after Vancouver had parted ways with him. Uh, getting a call from the evil villains in Calgary, um, a longtime enemy of Reese when he was with the Vancouver organization, no matter where they were. Um, this has to go down as one of those sort of Cinderella stories, and it couldn't have ended any better. It had a storybook uh, finish. I mean, seeing him be let go by Vancouver at the start of the year had many people scratching their head. Uh, and then Calgary picks him up, and just the way the season went for him, he had a tremendous bounce back year. And last year, obviously, his lowest output um, for offense. Uh, not really his fault, as you knew, because that offense was very stagnant. But he comes out this year, has a tremendous year, and like you said, he scores that huge, huge game-winning goal, gives Calgary another NLL Cup. And, and I, this is one time – or I should say not one, but one of many times where you wish lacrosse and the National Lacrosse League was mainstream. Because could you imagine if this happened in one of the top four, uh, the major four, uh, like in the NHL or even the NBA, something like that where, you know, a franchise player gets released kind of unexpectedly from their team and then gets picked up by, you know, a, a divisional rival and then goes on to have a great season. And not only that, scores the game-winning goal or the game-winning yeah. basket. I mean, if this was in the if this was in the NHL, they'd be writing, you know, a Disney movie about it because <laughs> it, really, and I, I, because it's such a cool, special story. And Reese Touch, he's such a great guy and a great ambassador for the game. And he, he's a guy that you know didn't he came onto the scene right away in Calgary. And I mean, no one could have predicted him to score that goal. But yeah. just the way the season started, you knew he was going to have a massive chip on his shoulder and prove that he still had so much left in his game. Uh, and, boy, did it come out at the right time as well, too, for that, that, that goal as well. Because, uh, he, I mean, now not only is he a lacrosse legend, not only is he a Vancouver legend uh, in the National Lacrosse League, but now he's a Calgary Roughneck mm-hmm. legend just after one season. So the movie is going to be The Mighty Dutch? <laughs> I love that. Copyright that right now. Copyright. The crazy thing is, is that the, the Reese Dutch story, um, you know, if, if that Calgary team would have been completely assembled at the start of the year with Berg, with Pace, with Dixon, with King, I'm not sure they make that move for Reese Dutch. But because you know, the contract yeah. situation with Dixon and Berg, because the situation off the floor with Pace, because – King was hurt. They had to go get him because they needed a veteran right-hander on that floor. And Reese played the role perfectly because he came in and he was the number one threat. And then when Dixon came back and Pace was in, he was okay kind of taking a step back, which showed a lot of maturity in his game because an old Reese probably would have said, you know what, 
No, I've been here all year. I still want to be the guy. I want to be the guy taking that first shot in overtime, not Curtis Dixon. But he deferred to the guys that have been a part of that team for years on years on years. Mm-hmm. And he still had an incredible role to play within that offense, and he played it perfectly. Still his second worst statistical year of his yep. career, but yep. so much better mentally, physically, and collectively was this year than so many of his other years past because he had to play so many different roles throughout that season. Absolutely, I agree. And I think this just further proves what a season of destiny it was for the Roughnecks. It just seemed like at the start of the year, just you know, everything was working against them. Everyone was saying, you know, once all these guys come back, boy, look out for them. And uh, week after week, okay, these guys aren't coming back, but they're still picking up wins. And and like you said, Dutch played such a big role in that, uh, not all, only just, you know, offensively, um, you know, putting points on the board. But like you said, it's a very young team as well. They needed some veteran leadership in that locker room. And I agree totally. You can see the maturity from his game. Um, that's not easy to, to be used to being a number one pretty much your entire career. Uh, and then you start as a number one to start the year. And once everyone comes back, your role gets d- diminished. But that's the buy-in that Kurt Malowski has been talking about all season long, that everyone on this team, whether it be the top lefty, the top righty, Christian Del Bianco in between the pipes, or anyone on defense, every single person on that team bought in. And that's the reason why, at the end of the year, they're the one team that's ending their season with a win, big smiles on their face, and holding up that trophy. Dane Dobie finished the regular season with 115 points. He finishes the playoffs with 26 points. He led both postseason and regular season, just putting a final stamp on what was an incredible year by 44. It, it, it was it, it was unbelievable to watch. And you Ooh. talk about the, the season of fate once again and guys having to step up at certain times. Well, did he not step up at the start of the year? Did he not step up <laughs> any time he needed to step up? This guy yeah. elevated his game. Uh, I know I said I probably would have given Christian Delbianco, uh the MVP for the postseason, but what the heck, why not? Uh, from start to finish, Dobie was the best player in the regular season, and you could definitely make an argument in the postseason. And just watching that postgame interview, uh, seeing how fired up he was, the, the, the passion, the emotion, it just shows to you how much the game of lacrosse means to him, how much being a roughneck, uh, means to him and the the relationship with him and and Mouse as well because yeah. they've been attached to the hip forever and you know finally now they get to win it as not just player and player but they win as player and coach and I think that is something that's very very special not just for lacrosse fans but for those two to have um, you know for the rest of their lives. Toby moves into fourth all time in playoff scoring the National Lacrosse League and. Uh, an MVP in the regular season is just around the corner for him. And I'm going to ask you this one last question because Jamie Shuchuk put this in my ear earlier in the year when Calgary and Colorado were playing. We were talking about how good Dane Doby was. Uh, we know Caleb Toth and Tracy Kluski have had their numbers retired by the organization. They're forever roughnecks. Sorry, not retired. They're just in the rafters. But will Dane Doby go down as the greatest ever roughneck? Oof. You know what? I think if you asked me that at the start of this year before everything unfolded, I'd probably say, mm, I don't know. I don't. I, maybe not. I don't think so. 
Uh, but after seeing, you know, the height of his game right now, and it's showing no signs of slowing down, the, the you know, epic season that he had, what he had to go through with so many guys in and out of the lineup and basically holding this team together with his bare hands until all the troops came in, I think so. I definitely think that he has a chance to, and when it's all said and done, you know, a couple of championships under his belt, probably an MVP, and let's be honest, this Roughnecks team is going nowhere. They yeah. are going to be another a very, very, very good team next year. Whatever happens with Berg, if he comes back, if they ship him out, he's, they're going to get some good pieces for him there. And you look at the defense, you look at the goaltending, they're young as can be, and that offense is you know, so, so high-powered. And that's not even with Jesse King with a full season. This team's going nowhere. So there could be another championship down the line as well. And the way he played this year, no signs of slowing down. I could see it happening for sure. Always a pleasure, Pat. Appreciate your insight, news, information, and tidbits all year long. I appreciate everything you've done for us here on the show. Uh, good luck tonight against the Beaches, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks for having me, and honestly, it was a pleasure being alongside you. It was, it was fun chatting lacrosse and, and giving all, all the, the viewers some insights. And uh, to be honest, if you would have called me up once a week and didn't even hit record and we just talked to each other, that would have been fun enough for me, buddy. <laughs> there he is, Pat Gregoire. You can find him on the Twitter, at Greggy. You can also catch him at Ironheads Games. You can catch him calling... Some MSL games as well as the Major Series League is kicking off. And all their games are on Lacrosse TV. Brad MacArthur's little production project. And all WLA games are live on play full screen. So you can catch all the summer lacrosse. Even though the National Lacrosse League is over, there is still plenty of indoor going on. There's also a little bit of outdoor lacrosse to be played this summer as Paul and Michael Rabel's Adventure into professional sports league owners, essentially, kind of. The PLL kicks off this weekend in Boston. And I expect huge things from the PLL. Their social has been phenomenal. The hype surrounding the league has been incredible. Um, From the players that I've spoken to, from what I've seen online, everybody has just been blown away by how they've been treated, how everything is gone, how things are being run. I can't wait to see how this takes off and how it does because it is like no model we've ever really seen before in professional sports where you're having a touring type league with no real home base teams. You're just using clubs as it were traveling teams they're all going to play together all on the one weekend so wherever they go you're just going to be cheering for your favorite players and the teams that they play on which is kind of a unique perspective i wish the folks at the pll all the best because i think this is a huge stepping stone for lacrosse i think it's a huge stepping stone for sports in general Um, I ran into a couple Canadian rugby players here in Victoria uh, the other week as the home for Canadian rugby is here in town. Um, And they mentioned to me that they follow the PLL just because their social is so good. 
And they're excited to see how the league does because I think for a lot of sort of sport leagues and sports that are on the cuff or the fringe, whichever word you want to use, that this might be a model others try and emulate. And if the PLL and the players can have success with this style of professional league, it will be very interesting to see how many others like it pop up. Maybe women's hockey takes this route because I know um, that they have been having some issues trying to gain traction in the dominated world of men's hockey. Maybe rugby goes this way. Maybe there are other leagues that are trying to create their role and niche in the sports world that sees what Paul Rabel does and has been doing and tries to copy it. Their work with NBC is going to be huge. There are going to be millions and millions of eyes on the field game. They've adjusted their rules, a 52-second shot clock. They've adjusted how the face-offs are going to go, which... I'm very interested to see because if you watched any of the NCAA finals this past weekend, there was a lot of controversy over the faceoffs and how long they were taking. And the fact that, you know, draws were taking 30, 40, 50 seconds, and it was just a will of strength between the two draw guys and who could eventually pop that ball out. In watching Greg Gorenlian's video online, I don't think face-offs are going to take, and he doesn't think face-offs are going to take any more than five seconds in just how they set up the sticks at the draw. Instead of the ball being placed between the sticks at the throat where the heads are the narrowest, I believe the way it's going to work is the ball will be placed higher in the sticks so it's more around the head where the stick are, sticks are widest. So it's going to be more the ability to rake the ball out rather than pinch, pop, and try and get that clamp. So little intricacies like that will make the PLL a little different. It's going to make it stand out more than the NCAA in field game. And again, it will be very interesting to see how players adapt to these new rules, how fans adapt to them, and how much effect they have on the game in speeding the game up and making the game more fan-friendly because at the end of the day, that's what the PLL is. It's by the players for the fans. And if the fans aren't engaged and entertained, then you're losing your main demographic. And the whole point of the PLL is to make the game more fan-friendly. So I wish Paul Rabel, Mike Rabel, Josh Sims, all the players... The best of luck this weekend and in the weekends to come as they take professional cross to a level that it has never been. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. I'm also thoroughly impressed and happy to see that the PLL is naming their trophies after lacrosse figures. Um, from Jim Brown being the MVP uh, Carcaterra, the face-off award. Brody Merrill, the long stick award. Um, the Gate Brothers midfield award. I noticed they didn't have an attack or goalie award. I haven't seen if they maybe have announced it in the time that I saw the original announcement. 
So that was two awards that I didn't see um, named, but I'm sure that they will find a adequate naming for those trophies. And it's something that I've wanted the National Lacrosse League to do for quite some time. Maybe if they see how successful the PLL does with it, the NLL may follow suit. But I think it's going to be a, a awesome summer for lacrosse either side of the border, wherever you are, whoever you're watching, whether it's the PLL, the WLA, the MSL, the summer seasons, the juniors, whatever you're watching, there is going to be a ton of lacrosse and I hope you get to watch it all. Speaking of awards, um, the MVP of the finals was handed out to Dane Doby. Um, I don't think you could have gone wrong whether you gave it to Dane or Christian Del Bianco. You could have given it to them both. And if it was Dane Doby who scored the overtime winner, you may have seen Christian Del Bianco named playoff MVP. But because it was Reese Dutch, I think that's why they gave the playoff MVP to Dane Doby. But really, you couldn't have gone wrong giving it to either guy. And the classiness of Dane Doby, you know, he said, this isn't mine, this is Christian. He brings CDB up and hands him the award and the place goes nuts. Like, a real classy move. Uh, just like Dan McRae handing the championship first to Bobby McMahon as he finally gets his hands on that cup. It had been a long time coming for him. He'd never won one throughout his tenure in the National Lacrosse League. But at the end of the day, as the season wrapped up, I thought it was a fitting end for Doby to be named MVP of the playoffs. He's going to win MVP of the entire league. If he doesn't, something's wrong. But a storybook finish for the Calgary Roughnecks, and unfortunately for the Buffalo Bandits, it's back to the drawing boards. Uh, the Bandit squad... Let's get this straight. This is a team that's going to be good for years to come. The draft picks that they have amassed from Josh Byrne, Ian McKay, Matt Gilray, now they got Cloutier. Um, they're stacked with you. Dane Doby's still young. Durston's still young. Um, Smalley, Smallsy and Evans still have lots of legs left in them. This is a team that's going to be a force in the East for the next few seasons at hand. As long as they have Matt Vince playing the way he does. They're going to have a chance to win games. As long as JT and Richie Kilgore are behind that bench. They're going to have chances to win championships. It didn't go their way in 2019. But I can guarantee you 2020. The Bandits will be back with a vengeance. And looking to right the ship. And get a little redemption on what was a very heartbreaking loss at the end of their season. It's crazy to think, and Pat Gregoire brought this up, that we were that close to not ever having a season this year. It was 11th hour stuff. And the fact that both sides came to agreement and got the game on the turf and we had the season that we did. Thank you.
Thank you to the players and the owners for making this season happen. Thank you to the fans for making this season happen. Thanks to all the broadcasters that brought the games to all of us fans for making it happen. This was one of the greatest NLL seasons to date. We may not have seen too many individual player records broken, but that truly is because the talent in the league right now is so deep. And it's just going to get deeper. Every new rookie class that comes into this league will be that much more prepared, that much more athletic, that much more mature, and that much more ready to compete at the highest level. The kids coming out of college that have senior experience are just that much better than the group of kids 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it's only going to make our game better. We've got expansion on the horizon. We've got a new Rochester Nighthawks logo. Take it for what it is. Love it or hate it. They have finally have a new look. We're going to get the expansion draft coming up in the next few months. We're going to have the entry draft. We're going to have the player awards. Like This offseason is going to be a great offseason. And who knows what holds for the years to come in the mind of Nick Sakevich with more teams, more franchises, new locations. Who knows where we go next. But the future is bright for the sport of lacrosse. And I cannot wait to see what 2019-2020 has for the National Lacrosse League. That's going to do it for this week's show. And probably the last show for a couple of weeks. We'll pick back up once the summer season really gets into full swing. Uh, we'll come back at you with fresh new guests, fresh new sounds, and a fresh new Off the Crossbar podcast in a couple of weeks. We need some time to recharge the batteries, rest the throats, and we'll come back to you in two weeks' time with an all-new Off the Crossbar show here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and the Lacrosse Flash. My name's Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Thanks to Pat Gregoire for all his work all season. And thanks to Reese Dutch for not only scoring that game-winning goal in dramatic fashion, but giving us some time during Daddy Daycare to chat about what was a memorable night. We'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Until then, enjoy the games and be excellent to each other.